The following podcast contains spoilers and rude words. Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hi there. Thanks for hitting play. This is We Watched a Thing. I'm Topher. He's Billy. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good, mate. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thanks. That's good. Isn't this weather glorious? I love a thunderstorm. Yeah, it's like it knew what we were recording and just wanted to laugh at us. Because <laughs> uh, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about The Dry. That's correct. Procedural slash drama starring Eric Banner. Everyone's favourite Hulk, I believe. <laughs> I didn't mind Banner's Hulk. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's on the Mount Rushmore, isn't he? I mean, who we got? Who we got? We got Lou Ferrigno, Banner, Norton, and Ruffalo. Yep. I mean, so aren't they? I mean, there's only four, so I guess they're all on the Rushmore. <laughs> Unless someone wants to boot him for like a, some voice work that someone's done, which maybe they do. Possibly. So, yeah, that's right. The Dry is a 2020 Australian mystery drama thriller film directed by Robert Connolly from a screenplay by Connolly and Harry Cripps. It stars, as you said, Eric Banner, Genevieve O'Reilly, Keir O'Donnell and John Paulson. And what is it about, Toph, based on a 2016 book of the same name? Yes, so Eric Banner's character Aaron heads home to the small town that he's from in regional Victoria after the death of his childhood friend in an apparent murder-suicide. And then, you know, some some threads get pulled and some things unravel, my friend. (laughs) That's right. Is this the first Australian film we've done on the show? No. What else have we done? I mean, Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Yep. We've had requests to do some more Australian fare, given our heritage, but I don't think we've actually gotten to anything yet. So this is this is exciting. I actually saw this film quite a while ago. I believe it came out here around New Year's Day, and and I, I was going to say s- it was se- it was several months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think I saw it that week because um, I was kind of off on Christmas leave, and it, you know it was showing in the the classy premium lounge at, at our beloved Dendy Cinemas. So I saw it a while ago. Would you have checked this out if if I hadn't said, let's do it on the show this week? It's coming out in the States today. I think I would have wound up watching it on, like, renting it through Apple TV, which is what I did. Yeah. Um, I think we would have wound up watching it around at our place. This just accelerated that. <laughs> yeah. were, you, were you happy to have watched it? Yeah, absolutely happy to have paid the money to- to rent this film, but like particularly because it's not my credit card that's attached to <laughs> that particular account. Um, so, really easy decision. <laughs> um, would you say that you check out a lot of Australian cinema? I'm kind of ashamed to say I generally think Australian films are pretty bad on the whole. So, I can't say I'm you. I wasn't expecting to enjoy this. I'll say that. Like, do I watch a ton of Australian movies? No, because we don't make a ton of movies. It is We really don't. It is really, really hard to get movies made in Australia. You talk to any director, producer, writer, which oftentimes is the same person. Yeah. And about the the process of funding a film in this country. And I mean, wow, 
I would, there's no way known to God I could, that I have the drive to get that done. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the drive to get a lot of things done, but it's, it's a nightmare. It is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, it's a, it's a real problem, and increasingly so now that, you know, places like Adelaide are really trying to market themselves now, but for overseas filmmakers, it's really hard as an Australian filmmaker. That's the frustration is that you hear, like you listen to the Roger Deakins podcast and him talking about the experience of working with an Australian crew. And this is by no means the only time I've heard sentiment like this, that people love working with crews here. Yeah. The ability's there, but the opportunity isn't, unfortunately, for a lot of projects because someone's got to fund them and it sounds like it's just an absolute prick to get done. Yeah. I believe that this production actually came about- I, I read that the novel was optioned by Reese Witherspoon's production company. Okay. Uh, and I believe that, you know, her and Nicole Kidman have gotten more into this kind of stuff after Big Little Lies, which obviously is an Australian novel. Now, unlike Big Little Lies, which is kind of translatable, this is a this is a very distinctly Australian story. Like, Australia really is a, a part of the character of this film, I think. So, I'm glad that they decided to still keep that element. Could you translate it to, I mean- let, let's just look at the obvious one and say, could it be translated to the US? Okay, yes, you've got someone going from a big city back to a drought-stricken area. Yeah. Yeah, that's doable. Um, certainly, yeah, within within the characters that inhabit this story as it's told, yeah. there's a lot of- there's just a bunch of Australia in it. All right, so let's crack into it then. Um, where do you want to start? Okay, well, let's- like, while we're talking about the setting- Let's stay there for a second. And one thing that is, um, one thing that's, that I thought about watching the movie is normally if people talk about like depressing weather, normally you're talking grey skies and rain. Yeah, you know if, if you write if you're writing a, a wistful song, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what's going on. Yeah. Um, one thing that when we and you know we live in a in a country and we live in a part of the country where sometimes this happens. You can go a staggering, like you wouldn't know it tonight with the thunder going. Yeah. But we can go a very long time without rain and be in yeah. genuine drought conditions. Yeah. And when that happens, if, if you've never experienced it, this would sound weird, is to how oppressive a sky that promises no rain can be. Yeah. When it's day after day after week after month, what would normally be considered glorious weather is really depressing. Yeah. And I think this film, for me, it felt like it did a reasonable job of capturing that. Same. I, I think that it did an exceptional job. And it makes some very interesting choices in the way it handles that. Like, the film is called The Dry. It's about a drought-stricken town. And yet, there is very, very little actual talk about- it being drought stricken. Yeah, it's mostly just background stuff, isn't it? And what that does, it just kind of reminds you of the heightened state that the town is in and that the town is a literal tinderbox. You know, it, it could go into flames at any moment. And that is both emotional and literally physical because of the drought. And I think that that's a really smart move. I also, I really love the cinematography in the film. It makes some really unique choices. Most 
Australian films set in outback rural towns like this, particularly during drought, really lean into the heavy reds and browns. This film is really strange in that it doesn't do that at all. It's a very undersaturated film. It's it's much more grey. You know, you were talking about, you know, when you think of depressing weather, you think of that grey, dreary. This has a really interesting way of of making you feel that grey dreariness during extreme heat. <laughs> and I don't know how it pulls it off so well, but it really, really does for me. And particularly the scenes, it tends to be the starter scenes, the the establishing shots of, for instance, like one that comes to mind is Eric Banner and the local cop walking out to the dry lake bed where where his friend died. And that starts off, I think it might be a drone shot actually, yeah. that that scene kicks off with. Um, and it's a great looking shot in that it's grim AF. Yeah. I I think for my person, just personal taste here, I would actually love it if they just let more scenes play out on a really wide shot like that. Because, yeah. and this is me just absolutely guessing here, that it was a fairly tight shooting schedule. I say that just because like all Australian funded films are. It's, yeah. it's purely budgetary. Um, so there's sometimes where it very much does look like they've got the light that they want to be working in. And there's other times where it's not. They're just like filming in the middle of the day with the sun overhead because, well, time is money, people. We need to be filming something. Yeah. And and in those situations, you know, actors tend not to look great. <laughs> so <laughs> for, for not only for that reason, for like the vanity reason of actors and also just because I think the setting acts kind of as a character as well. I actually, I wouldn't have minded at all if they just lent more into just, all right, wide lens, hit record, yeah, go. It's funny. When you said that, the first thing that came to my mind was The Nightingale. So, there you go. We have done an Australian film on the show before. And that's a film that, as you say, from memory, that was was really shot very wide from memory. No, no, no. That was was Academy aspect ratio. Was it? Oh, right. Well, that film did a beautiful job of really getting the landscape into every single shot. I actually don't mind the cinematography here. I, to me, this is a really insular story. So, as I said, the, the drought is is more kind of background. This is a film about this very small town. So, it makes sense to me for everything to be very small in scope. It's very understated and naturalistic, which yeah, that choice... I mean, to me, that makes perfect sense for the story. I have a, I have some level of sympathy with the car- with the people, the inhabitants of this town who are just like, look at this prick. <laughs> if you drive an Audi into a regional town, oh yeah, y- yeah. you're a dick. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about like Dalesford or somewhere. Like that, where people, where loaded people from Melbourne oh, no. go yeah. to retire and spend all their money on on a nice Sangiovese. I'm talking, I'm talking this town. You don't drive yeah. an Audi into this town. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, I love Australia. I love the Australian people. But honestly, small towns like this can be scary. <laughs> oh, man, you walk into a pub, like you walk into that pub. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where every head turns. Yes. 
Absolutely. And I don't look like a fancy man. <laughs> like, I, I look like the kind of guy who could live in one of these towns, but they yeah. know I don't, and that's enough. <laughs> and, they, like, you, you, you're not- you're not sure of the local customs, like for it, like at the pub, you don't know what size beer well, that's everyone right. in this town drinks. So you yeah. go in and you just order order a pint. It turns yes. out that it's a town where everybody drinks half pints. <laughs> yeah. Someone and it's like, oh, can I have a pint of that? And everyone's like, okay, hero. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's my. If, you, if you go in and order a pint after driving in in an Audi, you are going to get glassed. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know what's even worse when they don't even call them the same thing. When you're like, I'll have a schooner, and they're like, what the f- is a schooner? <laughs> yeah, I was like, God forbid you go into a takeaway in Adelaide and ask for a potato scallop. You'll get slapped in the face. Rightly so, it's a potato cake. It's a potato scallop, mate. <laughs> Want to fight about it? <laughs> well, like, how is he affording an Audi, by the way? Yeah, on, I mean, that was- I was like, I watched- okay, so he definitely is corrupt. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And that that is a problem that I had with the film, especially on a second watch. Because like I said, I watched this quite a while ago now. So after we decided to do it, I, I rewatched it the other night and my wife watched it because, you know, she likes a crime thriller. Straight up, he's in this fucking luxurious Melbourne apartment, beautiful views of the city. And it's like, what kind of cop can live here? <laughs> This it just doesn't track at all. It does actually make you think that he might be corrupt. Well, I mean, that would be very strange for Victorian police. <laughs> There's never been a story like that before. They were probably just like, well, we need to make this guy realistic. He's a Victorian cop. He's definitely on the take. Good to see that. So, I mean, followers of Australian film are, are very much aware of this, that there's a group of like 10 people where in order for you, I think it's probably legally binding that to make a film in this country, you need to have at least one of these people in your movie. Um, in this one, it is, of course, the gyrocopter from Mad Max. <laughs> Good to see him there. And that's how they finally got the thing greenlit. I am absolutely sure <laughs> of it. Um, yeah, on the on the cast, let's let's start right up there with our man Banner. Um, are you a Banner fan? Where do you sit on Banner and his big ears? I'd say I'm pro Banner. Like I I grew up in an era of watching him do sketch comedy, like back in the nineties. That's the thing. For, I remember him as Chopper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there are, and this will sound very strange to people who know him from these really intense sort of roles like Black Hawk Down and Munich and and things like this. Mm. There are those of us in Australia who know him as, like, initially, we knew him as a stunningly goofy sketch comedy guy. Yeah. So, when yeah, then when he broke out with Chopper, like, it was weird. Yeah. Because we knew him as Poida, the footy player. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Poida. For those who don't get it, his name is Peter. (laughs) But it's Poida. (laughs) Poida. Poida. Um, see, look, I, I'm pro Banner. I think he is a good actor. I- yeah, no, I'm right with you there. I think he's certainly a very likable gentleman. Um, I think he's more likable than he is good. But like with a lot of actors, that that can carry them. I think the same thing about Jason Bateman doesn't mean he can't be great in certain roles. Um, yeah, I thought Eric Banner was really, really good in this. Actually, I quite enjoyed the performance. He's good at like w- when he's asked to 
go, I mean, almost a little bit daytime when he's asked to stand there and look off at something and think about whatever. Yeah. Quite good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Smell the fart acting. <laughs> smell, smell the fart acting. Yeah. For me, though, that's pretty much where the, the good performances in the film end. I don't, I don't mind the local cop. He's best on ground for me. Yeah, I think that he he is quite good. But, I mean, geez. I, like, I, I don't know if people outside of Australia know who John Paulson is and that he's kind of a big deal. But, fuck, the man can't act. <laughs> Do I know who John Paulson is? I'm willing to wager that you would know John Paulson more as a director than as an actor. He's the founder of Tropfest, which, if people don't know, is okay. quite a large- um, short film festival. When I was looking at him, I knew I knew him from somewhere, and I think it's actually like the news. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. But he, um, he's actually a big TV director. He did a lot of uh, Without a Trace, The Mentalist. Um, recently, he's been working on you know Fear the Walking Dead, Walking Dead, um, all that kind of jazz. Right. Uh, he hasn't acted in a whole heap. In fact, this is his first film role. Since Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> wow. Yeah. A very bad film. Uh, yeah. And I think that that tells you everything you need to know about John Paulson as an actor. Because the dude can't act. And the creepy fucking hair. Like, what is with the hair, mate? <laughs> the, hair's, the hair's tough. Um, and I, 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 I'm with you. I don't think he's particularly strong <laughs> in the film. The thing that really sells him, as well as that haircut that you've mentioned, that this guy is <laughs> not all right, is that- this is a guy who, in a small regional town, is drinking Budweiser. <laughs> I noticed that too. Now, now, I refuse to believe that it's product placement. So I think it's got. I think it's a character choice, and I think it's a good one because Budweiser is not that easy to like. Yes, you can get it in Australia, but it's not. It's not in every bottle shop. No, nor should it be. Of course, because it's terrible. Yeah, particularly in regional Australia. You've got to go out of your way to buy Budweiser. So that someone would do that in a small town in Victoria, clearly a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't help but notice that as well. I thought it was a very, very, very strange choice. I know. Like poor, poor Aaron when he's asked, hey, do you want another beer? And, like, he politely has <laughs> got to be like, yeah, I haven't had a first one. <laughs> um, I like Genevieve O'Reilly um, as Gretchen. Um, yep. New age, new age mom Mothma from Rogue One. I really did like um, young Ellie as well. Um, I think as far as the, the flashback performances go, she is the strongest. It's nice to have at least one actor that can carry those flashback moments. She carries those flashback scenes, I think. I yeah. don't think that's unfair to say at all. Yeah, yeah, and she, she's she's really great. I have no idea who she is, um, but I'd be happy to see her in more things. I thought she was for me. Yeah, her and old mate local cop are the best in the film. Keir O'Donnell is the local cop, right? Who I don't think I know him from anything. Oh, he's in one of the seasons of Fargo. Don't know which one. I'm not going that deep into IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> so. We say it at the top of the show. Everyone knows we we spoil stuff. Let's get into the plot. Um, 
quite a few twists and turns and you've kind of got the two separate plots going on because you've got the flashbacks as well as present day. Um, I mean, where were you there? Did anything surprise you necessarily? Did, did you see the reveals at the end coming, both of them? No. Um, and I do. I think that the flow of information in the film is quite good. It kind of drip feeds you yeah. throughout the runtime. Yeah, there's no point where you physically sit there and go, "Oh, it was it was it was him." Like, the, like it it doesn't. You know how sometimes I mean, there's a reveal, like definitely him. <laughs> you know how sometimes there's a reveal at the end of the film, and you're like, "Well, that just came completely out of nowhere," and you're just trying to be twisty. This doesn't feel like that. It, it feels logical when it happens. Yeah, I. Um, it sounds weird to say it, but I like the reveal about the flashback sequence. Because that flashback see that every, every time we go back, there are times where I actually felt like, for me, this is kind of just getting in the way of the story. Like I, it didn't have, I, I didn't, I wasn't invested enough in that thread yeah. of the story. So I think it needed that reveal at the end of the film. In a, it's a bit girl with a dragon tattooy. In these, you know, there's these different timelines. Um, there's a kind of, there's almost like a postscript. To the story, there's family members who are yuck. Yeah. And it's so it's not it's not nice stuff, but I think it's good stuff for the film. I I agree completely. I actually think that yes, that reveal really, as you kind of said, makes that flashback sequence worth it. It and it's funny, even though he spends so much of the film convinced that the two um cases are linked. And in fact, the reveals show that they're not at all. It still somehow adds weight to what's happening in present day as well. And I think the film has a lot of very interesting themes that are just kind of touched on, particularly about regional Australia. You know, it touches on alcoholism and gambling and domestic abuse and all these things that that happen every day in these small towns. The setting is, like I said before, it's almost like the setting is a character in the film. It's like it's almost like it's the villain as well. Yes, yes. And yet, apart from Aaron, who's already left the town, there's actually not a single character who who has that drive. Even in the flashback scenes when they're kids, there's no one who even says, "Oh, I want to get out of this crummy town" or whatever, you know. And and Aaron, in fact, as a grown man, is actually drawn to stay in this town longer. So it's a really interesting juxtaposition there. And there's, it's, I mean, it's only sprinkled through, but it is there just the way that in, in, in little details, the way that the inhabitants of the town and, you know, this is true to life, really do le- in a place that small, the, the amount that people do lean on each other. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's not like I don't, I don't think the film paints this town as an evil place to be or a bad place to be. No, no. All right, cool. So, I mean, it sounds like we both, for the most part, quite enjoyed it. How are you scoring it? I'm a solid six out of ten. Um, like, the film doesn't blow me away, it didn't knock my socks off, but it's a good watch. If someone said to me, should I watch The Dry, I'd be like, yep. I feel exactly the same. I was honestly quite surprised. I I don't tend to like a lot of Australian cinema, and I'm also not that big of a crime thriller guy. So, I kind of went in to watch this just because it was there, and I didn't expect to enjoy it that much. Um, but I'm a seven. I, I, I think there's some good stuff going on in this film. So, hopefully it will pave the way to, you know, to more stuff like this. All right, cool. What are we getting to next week, buddy? 
Next week, we're heading to Netflix. Um, well, we're heading to outer space via Netflix <laughs> with Stowaway. I know absolutely nothing about this film other than you messaged me the other night saying this is meant to be good if we if we need something to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's true. The person at work who said that to me after I'd sent it to you, I was like, I have no idea whether this person has a good taste in film or not. <laughs> well, I'll be curious to check it out. All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we'll catch you next week. Watch a movie, folks. Watch a movie.